me in your Bible to the book of Revelation. We'll look in chapter 1 tonight, and I let, while you're turning there, let me ask how many of you may have in your Bible the little chart that I passed out some while ago. Do you have those with you tonight? Uh, all right, uh, just a few of you, but uh, we'll not be referring to that so much this evening. But we will, in time to come, be looking at that. I hope you'll kind of keep it handy. It'll be a, a way of helping us kind of keep things separated and uh, be able to come to better understanding. Maybe I can prevail on uh, some of our folks to get me a big chart up here while we're dealing with this subject. And uh, maybe it'll make it a little better for us to see. Let's pray together. Father, take the message tonight. Open my heart. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit. Crowd from our minds as we speak and as the folks here crowd from our mind those things that would distract us, help us realize that what we're looking at beginning tonight are things that concern us. And Lord, if you delay the coming for your church very much longer, uh, Lord, we know that many of these things we'll begin to see forming as we already are. So help us to be alert, to be aware, and to be knowledgeable so that those things that are coming upon this earth shall not take us unawares. Now fill us with thy spirit, be honored and glorified. If there be those among us who are really not saved, bring them to Christ. May it be a real experience, not just some mental concept, but a heart-changing experience of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray now that you'll bless us as we look at this portion. And yet we know, Lord, as we begin this study, we don't have to ask you to bless us, for you've already promised that. And we look expectantly for you to bless us as we look at these truths. For Jesus' sake, amen. Looking in Revelation, we begin a series of studies in this book. And I'll try not to let us get bogged down. But I do want us to become aware of the things that our Lord has unveiled to us and revealed to us in this passage of the Scripture as to the direction of this world. What, what is this world coming to? What in the world is going to happen next? Are the things that are happening, do they have anything to do with the master plan of God, the events occurring in here and all around the world? The cry for democracy, uh, the constant talk about a United States of Europe, the formation of the common market, all of these things, the great upheaval and uproar in the Middle East. We are living, uh, whether you're aware of it or not, the most exciting days of the church. We're living in days when we are literally beginning to see come to pass what our Lord through his prophets spoke about hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And certainly how thrilling it is to see uh, this very thing before us. Revelation then, we look in chapter 1 at verse 1 and we'll read down through verse 8. About all the time we'll have for tonight is more or less an introduction and John's greetings to those to whom he writes. But how jam-packed it is. Here he writes and says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Oftentimes, I hear people refer to this book as the book of the revelations, plural. That's a misnomer. That is not what this book is all about. It is a specific singular revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that men in their last vision of him as far as the earth is concerned was that of a babe, of a lowly servant, of one who hung on a cross, who was treated cruelly and rejected. But here in this passage we see a far different story and picture of the Lord Jesus. It is no longer a picture of a babe helpless in a manger but rather it is the picture and the revealing of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. He is now revealed in his power and in his great authority and his right to be the rightful ruler of this very earth. The word of the name revelation is referred to often as the apocalypse, the apocalypse. The word itself comes from a word, apocalypsis, which simply the word means an uncovering or an unveiling, a drawing away of the veil of darkness. So what we have here is an unveiling of the Lord Jesus. You have about three different wonderful views of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, You have the view of the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Servant of God, coming, the King coming to die and provide for us the very, uh, the redemption of our soul. The book of uh, the epistles and the Acts and so forth show us another side and a picture of the Lord Jesus in his continuing ministry in and through his church. And then here you have the view of the Lord Jesus as the great, the mighty, the powerful ruler of all. In his majesty, he is seen revealed in this book. Also, as this book unveils the Lord Jesus, it shows us his mighty arm of power, not only in grace that we have known him and seen him in the gospels and in the epistles, But you find him here in his power to bring judgment, his power to deal severely, his power to pour out wrath. And so you get that glimpse of the the Lord Jesus in this particular book of the Revelation. Here in the book of Revelation, you'll find the symbolic forecast of the final judgments of God upon this very world. Somebody said to me the other day, Preacher, where, where, where's the world headed? What are we headed for? And my simple reply, and I believe it's scriptural, is this. This world is headed for judgment. There is no question about it. And yet though our Lord in mercy and in grace today extends his arm of forgiveness and love, I want to tell you this, someday that very Son of God will manifest himself in fierceness of wrath and in great judgment. Now, the book of Revelation is the final chapter of the 66 books in the Bible. It is the final chapter. And when you're reading a book, if you're a reader of books, uh, you don't want to lay down a book before you read the last chapter. Now, some folks just can't wait and they go ahead and read the last chapter and then they wonder how in the world did all this come about? How did this come to pass? That's where a lot of folks are. They'll read the book of Revelation and ignore the prophecies of Daniel, of Ezekiel, and others. And they come up saying, why? How in the world did this come about? I don't understand this. Why are all these things going to happen and so forth? And so a man never lays a book down if he's interested in it, wanting to know without reading the final chapter. Uh, When you go attend a a play, a performance, a drama, uh, you miss out if you get up and leave halfway through. In other words, you haven't heard the final chapter and you haven't seen the final act in that drama. And so the book of Revelation is the final chapter in God's story of redemption, believe it or not. The final chapter in the story of redemption. And so uh, it is the final drama. It is the final scene in uh, the man's uh, history on uh, this earth. If you want to know what's going to become a man, you need to be acquainted with the Bible. 
if you listen to politicians and, and uh, palm readers and crystal ball uh, gazers, uh, I guarantee you, you're not going to find out what is going to take place on this earth. You'd better learn to listen to God who started it all. And if you know he's the one who started it, I'll tell you this, he's going to be the one who winds it up. And so the book of Revelation is that very culmination of God's plan of redemption. In passing, let me mention this about redemption. Redemption is revealed in the Bible in a threefold sense. That is, it touches three aspects of life as we know it. Redemption has been provided by the death, the shedding of the blood of Christ on the cross, his burial, his resurrection from the tomb. But that redemption reaches into three distinct areas. Redemption has been provided, yes, for our soul. The, the buying back of our soul from the captivity of sin and the captive of Satan. We believe in that and we rejoice in the redemption of the soul, the saving of the soul. But there's another aspect of redemption and that relates, believe it or not, to the body, to the body. Paul talks about uh, the redemption of the body. And not only is redemption providing for the release, and the word redemption, by the way, means to release on the payment of a ransom. The ransom that was paid was the death, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And redemption, we're released on the basis of the payment, that is the ransom that he paid. Not only the soul, but the body. This body shall be buried in the ground, in the grave, but because of that redemption that Christ made possible, the grave will not hold the believer. We shall rise, be buried a mortal body. We shall be raised uh, and, in, in immortality. And so then there's redemption of the body. But there is also providing redemption, the redemption of the world. This very planet earth, God has provided a, a release on the very payment of that ransom. You see, when man sinned, God placed a curse on this earth. Before man's fall, the earth was a fertile womb and it brought forth of itself. Uh, in other words, Adam didn't have to fight cuckleburrs. Uh, he didn't have to worry about it. He didn't have to go out and plow the ground and uh, break up new ground and, and uh, break stumps up and so forth. The earth, just a, a fruitful womb, bore fruit of itself. And so, yet when man sinned, God put a curse on this earth. His judgment was upon it, came upon it. As a result, briars, thorns, thistles, and man earns his living by the sweat of his brow. And yet when our Lord's culmination of redemption occurs, the very curse from this earth will be lifted. And the very earth itself will blossom and bring forth as God intended originally. So you need to remember that that's what this book of Revelation gives us to understand. That it is the culmination, it is the fulfilling of the ultimate of God's redemptive plan. Soul, body, and the very earth itself. Now if you have a pen or pencil, I hope you will in these sessions that we talk about the book of Revelation, I hope you'll keep handy a pen and a piece of paper. And as I say often, you don't have a piece of paper, write it on somebody's shirt sleeve or in the palm of your hand. I guarantee you, I will guarantee you, you won't be able to remember everything I tell you. And I don't mean to put a negative uh, thought out, but you're not going to be able to remember it. Unless you jot it down, it's going to get away from you. And so let me urge you to jot some things down, uh, even if you have to in the uh, back of your Bible, the fly leaf, uh, on anything. Just don't write on the church pews, will you? Uh, just kind of stay away from that. Let me give you just a brief, a general outline of the book of Revelation. I think you'll find that our Lord himself in divine inspiration has outlined this book for us. Look, if you will, in verse number 19 of chapter one, you'll find divine, the divine outline of this book. And here's the way it's stated. Verse 19 of chapter one, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Now I've found it in my study of the word of God, if you can find a clearly revealed outline that God gives, it's better than Dr. Bottle Stoppers or Dr. Who would have thought it or Dr. Drives a Shuck or Last Year's Bird's Nest or what. I'll tell you, God gives us this outline and all you have to do is just fill it in. 
So he gives us this brief outline. Look, if you will, and we're going to make just simply three points. You'll notice that they, go, they have to do with the past, the things which, the things, uh, which uh, thou hast seen, that's past, the things which are, that's present, the things which shall be hereafter, that's future. Now then, number one, Roman numeral one, remember this. The things which thou hast seen. That has to do with what is found here in this first chapter of Revelation. You'll find on down from, well, let's see, down beginning at verse number 12 especially. You'll find that John here writes, he records the vision that he has seen of the Lord Jesus. He is manifest in his glory, his power. So the first thing, the first uh, point of this overall outline of Revelation deals with that which is past, that which, the things which thou hast seen. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 20. The second point is simply the things which are. The things which are. And that concerns chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3 and verse 22. It has to do with what the Lord says in relation to the churches, seven of them in all. And that has to do with what is concerning John in the present. It was present tense in John's day. And so he is writing the things which are, which thou hast seen, the things which are. That's present tense. Now, the third and the final point of the simple outline that God gives us, and I'm so glad he makes it simple, aren't you? Uh, I can get a hold of it then. But the third thing, the things which shall be hereafter. Now that's future things. And that concerns chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 22 and verse 21. A very simple outline. And those, that, that kind of a thing is very essential if we're to keep in channel the right thought and the right understanding of what the Lord's word is all about. Now then let's look, if you will, first at the things, uh, the first point, the things uh, which thou hast to see. In verse number one through three, we have what was simply called the prologue or, if you can't spell that one uh, like me, introduction. Just be fine. So here's our Lord. He's given kind of a cover letter, a cover letter. You ever get a, a, a piece of mail and, and, or maybe an item and there's a cover letter there that describes for you what this particular thing is all about. And so in the introduction, John is going to tell us what this book is indeed all about. Notice he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now note this, Jesus Christ is the subject of this entire book. He is the subject behind the entire book. The subject is not Antichrist. And a lot of people, when they look through the book of Revelation, that's what they think about. Oh boy, you learn about the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Yeah, the Bible talks about him, but the subject matter is not of the Antichrist. The main subject is that of the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The subject, though, it, uh, the book mentions judgments, and there are many of them, severe, harsh, terrible, but yet the subject is not judgments. The subject is Jesus. Keep that in mind. And wherever, and that's a good rule to follow when you read anywhere in the Bible, you'll find that whether you're in Genesis or any book in between there and Revelation, you're going to find that Jesus is the primary subject of every book in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. He is the heartthrob. He is the focal point. He is the thing of attention in all of the word of God. So here in this very book of Revelation concerning Jesus Christ, I've said it before, you find him bearing his arm in power, in authority. Here we have seen him tenderly moving toward men in grace and mercy and love. But now you see him bearing his arm in great strength and in great power. Read again verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Now won't you notice that term. Which God gave unto him. Now John is saying, this is what the Lord has given. 
The, the very statement speaks of two things primarily. Number one, it speaks of inspiration. That is, that what is about to be revealed is not some harebrained idea of a sick old man left out on an island in the Aegean Sea, the island of Patmos, but rather it is a divinely inspired message from God, and that's what inspiration is. The Bible, every scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, and so forth. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. So here in the Revelation, we have, first of all, in this statement, as John says, which God gave unto him. We have the idea of inspiration. God breathed, and that's what inspiration is. And we believe, and I do, and I'm sure you do in our church, we believe that this book is the God-breathed Word of God. Holy men of God spake as the Spirit of God moved upon them. But there's another thing you need to notice in the statement which God gave to him, and that is the suggestion of grace. Notice the word gave, which God gave. In other words, none of us deserve any of the blessing of God. In fact, we do not even deserve the revelation of God that we have in the Word of God. All we have comes of the grace of God. The word gave speaks of gift. Gift speaks of grace. And so what do we have? Whatever we are, as Paul said, we are by reason of the grace of God. Now notice further the statement. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. Now I've read this book of Revelation numbers of times. But I'm going to tell you as I reread it in preparation of these messages I saw something in a word here that I'd overlooked. And there are a lot of things I overlook. But notice the word servants, plural. He says, to show unto his servants. Now I want to mention that for this reason. There are a lot of folks who have been given the the idea, and I think it's satanic, that nobody can understand the book of Revelation but a preacher, a theological professor, some kind of teacher, that's the only people who can understand. And as a result, when people turn to the book of Revelation, they've got this mental block, and the devil's saying, no need for you to read that book, you can't understand it. I want to tell you, number one, God never gave us anything in his word that he wouldn't give us the ability to understand. Now, well, I don't mean by that we understand it all. But there is the very fact that God gave it and he didn't give you the word of God to tantalize you, to torment you, to render you in a state of confusion. He gives it to you that you might gain information and knowledge of not only his person, but of his plan and of his purpose for this very world as well as the world of mankind. So notice the word is plural. And that means that every person in this building, every man and woman child here can get a grasp of what this revelation of Jesus Christ is all about. Back way in the book of Genesis, when the Lord said to Abraham, giving him his name, I am the Lord God Almighty. I am am El Shaddai. The very term of the Hebrew suggests he is the self-existent one who reveals himself. So from the very beginning of time, God's desire was to reveal himself to man. And so in this book of Revelation, as in the other books of the Bible, there is a startling, amazing, clear revelation to us of Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. Then notice as it continues that the revelation of Christ, which God gave to him to show in his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. Notice this statement. Things which must shortly come to pass. Two words I want you to underline. Two words. The word must, the word shortly. Now, the scripture is given, as I said, by divine inspiration. There is not one word in this book that is, what shall I say? It is not fodder, F-A-D-D-E-R. How many of y'all know what fodder is? I didn't say father, fodder. You know what it is? Yeah, you're getting it now. That's them big old leaves, if you want to call them that, off of corn stalks. Remember when you used to pull pull limb buck? Pull uh, pull fodder and uh, cut tops. 
I hated it with a passion. And uh, yet every year that rolled around, dad would have us go out and pull that old dry corn, uh, uh, cut the tops and pull the fodder. And uh, uh, I had an old hawk bill knife and I've still got a scar right there on my elbow where I was looking off at a rabbit that jumped up out the end of the field and boy, I whacked around and cut not only the stalk, but I cut my arm off. And uh, yet uh, I, I hate that. I didn't like it. For I didn't like it because number one is work. I didn't like that. And uh, I'm honest now. And <laughs> secondly, I didn't like it because that old father, you talk about making you itch and scratch and burn, buddy. I mean, it'll tire you up, right, Carly? I mean, it'll eat you up. And uh, another thing I didn't like about it was pack saddles. How many of y'all know what a pack saddle is, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, Buck does. He's been bit and stung. But a pack saddle, a little green-looking worm's got a little brown-looking thing right in the middle of it. It looks like a saddle on a worm. I never tried to ride one. But uh, they called it a pack saddle. And uh, those things get on that old dried up corn stalks. And you get out there and be pulling them things. And sure enough, boy, you'd get a hold of one of them. And they'd just light your fire in a hurry. And uh, I never really liked them. So one day, I'll never forget, uh, Dad was sitting around in the living room one night. And he's reading a progressive farmer, uh, one of our favorite uh, pieces of classic literature. And I've told you, I think we only had three pieces in the house that we kept. We kept a we kept we had a Sears Roebuck catalog. We had Progressive Farmer and a Bible. The Bible's permanent uh, uh, literature. Uh, Progressive Farmer. Daddy kept ever a copy of that. But the Sears catalog got got away from us somehow. We never was able to keep all them. And I know where y'all from. But anyway, y'all been there too, hadn't you? But uh, Daddy's reading an article to Progressive Farmer, and uh, all of a sudden he said, "Hey, hey, look here." Bill jumped up and I jumped up. We thought he'd been stung or something. And I uh, said, so what, what is it? What is it, Dad? And Dad said, boys, listen, I've got good news for you. Oh, he, we said, what's that? He said, I just read an article written by a professor down at the University of Georgia. And he said, you know what he said, fellas? I said, no. He said, that guy said that there is no nutritional value in fodder. Well, I said, yeah, what does that mean? Well, he said simply in terms you can understand, boy, we ain't a pulling fodder and cutting tops no more. It don't help the cow out a bit. All it is is filler. It just kind of fills her up, makes her think she's got something when she hadn't gotten a thing at all. I know a lot of churches like that. Yeah, they make you think you got something. They don't give you the word of God or nothing. Just a bunch of blue john and, and uh, a tingling sensations and chill bumps run up and down your back and a lot of noise. But I'll tell you, uh, there's nothing in the word of God. I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember what I told you that far. And I know now, the whole story is there's nothing in this book that's fodder. God doesn't put a word in there it's not, uh, that, that is not for a purpose. So I ask you to look at these two words, the word must and shortly. Now, he chose the word must, and the word simply means that which is necessary. He didn't say that which will shortly come to pass, but rather that which must shortly come to pass, emphasizing by the use of that word the importance, the necessity of that that is, about, that, that is about to be given. Why is it a must for the book of Revelation? Why could we have a Bible without it? There is a church just out of Gainesville, Georgia, believe it or not, over 10 years ago, voted in a business meeting the church to vote out any preaching or teaching on the book of Revelation. Simple cause, they couldn't, somehow they didn't believe it. Uh, it was too frightening to some of them. Uh, they said, we can't understand that book, so we don't want any preachers, don't want any teachers coming in here and teaching and preaching out of the book of Revelation. What a sad, sad thing. And yet again, why is it a must? What is revealed in the book of Revelation is a must because it is the completion of God's program for the ages. God starts something, you know what? He finishes it. God has a program for this world and mankind on this earth. And God's program in the book of Revelation will find there is the completion of God's program. And again, I can mention another reason for the must. And that is that I've already mentioned. It is the consummation of redemption. It is the consummation of redemption, if you please, salvation. Not only that, but it is the culmination of prophecy. You see, if there were no book of Revelation, all that the prophets like Daniel, Ezekiel, 
and other prophets of the Old Testament. What they said would be null and void. But here the Lord is saying to us, just bank on it. There will be a culmination to every prophecy that my, I have made through my servants. And certainly many of the prophets, uh, prophecies and predictions have already come to pass. We have record of that. The birth of Christ, many other events. I was crucified, I died. All of these things. When Messiah would be cut off. All of those things. Those things are definite. They're not guesswork. They're, there's too many of them for it to be coincidence. And so it is a must for the culmination of prophecy. the revelation is necessary it is a must for the crowning of our Lord as king the crowning of our Lord as king now we've looked at the word must let me ask you to look at the second word and that's the word shortly might be just a little misleading the word shortly here means soon but the word translated shortly or soon means simply that the action will be sudden when it comes. It will be sudden when it comes. That is, it is not saying that it will, that it, that necessarily what I'm writing and revealing is going to happen immediately. But he is saying when these events begin to occur, they're going to occur suddenly, quickly, with great rapidity. They will move quickly, and you'll see that in the Scripture. Once then, once then, end-time events begin to open up, they'll begin to take place like that. Now, I want to ask you something. How many of you would have thought this time last year that what has happened and is happening in Europe could have happened as quickly as it happened? The wall comes down. All of a sudden, you hear everybody talking about a United States of Europe. You hear them talking about the common market. All of these things quickly. Let me ask you something else. Have, have, do you remember some of you? Old enough to remember back to 1948, but so, some of you will. But do you remember how quickly Israel seemingly became a nation? You remember the Six Day War. You remember when Israel defeated the overwhelming odds of the Egyptians and the Syrians and all the rest. And they took the great city of Jerusalem again. I want to tell you something. When God begins to move, he moves rapidly. And he does so in judgment as well. And so remember this statement from Proverbs. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his heart, stiffeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I'll tell you something. When God punches a fellow's ticket for judgment, it won't be long. It won't be long. So then what he's saying is this. When these events begin to take place, they're going to take place rapidly. Can you imagine all of the things primarily that Revelation talks about from about chapter 6 through chapter 19 if you've read this book recently, can you imagine all of those things happening within a period of seven years? Ah, oh, rapidly, they'll begin to move and so forth. All right, the, the, I could give you some verse where that's, the, the very word is found, like in Luke 18 and verse 8. Jesus said, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Acts 12 and verse 7, the angel said to Peter when he's in prison, remember, he came and, and touched him. And uh, said to him, arise up quickly. And his chains fell off. God, when he begins to move, move rapidly. Now then watch this. John continues in verse 1. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. I want you to ask, I want you to notice one word in that statement. Y'all still hanging in there? The word signified. It comes from words, semino, which means to express by sign or symbol. So you're going to find in the book of Revelation, there are many symbols. And don't be afraid of those. Many of the symbols that God gives are either identified and interpreted for us in the book of Revelation. Or you'll find that they are, all, they are interpreted for us in some of the ancient prophecies like Daniel, Ezekiel, and so forth. You'll find that the symbols are there. But you see, John, for example, spoke in the terms that he knew in that day. In other words, the Lord had not revealed to man anything about a hydrogen or an atomic explosion. So you would expect John, the Holy Spirit, using man as the vehicle of expression, and they spoke through man, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke through his knowledge. Yet again, here's the thing. 
He didn't know anything about an atomic bomb. He didn't know anything about flying helicopters and jets and all of that. So he has to describe them in symbol form and in in words that John had a vocabulary for. Do you follow me? You follow me in that? Do you like that, huh? Do you? If not, I'll shoot at it another direction. Some of you hadn't nodded one way or the other. You just, you, you're like a calf looking at a new barn door. All right, all right, follow me now. The book of Revelation is full of symbols. And we must understand those symbols if we're to understand what the Lord's word is saying. Now then look at verse two. He says in verse number two, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Here is a portrait of the faithful servant. Notice this word said, John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. The true servant of God will always proclaim his master's message. Whether it suits the hearer, the people who listen or not. A man who is faithful is going to proclaim, thus saith the Lord. In other words, he's not out to gain popularity on somebody's totem pole. He's not out to gain some applause. His main objective is to deliver the message of his master. He is an uncompromising servant when it comes to the word of God. You've heard me quote Stonewall Jackson, one of my heroes. Stonewall Jackson said, rather than knowingly violate the will of God or compromise, I would forfeit my life. And I believe that is the attitude of John. John said what I'm about to tell has already wound me up over here in the Isle of Patmos. I've been exiled. Uh, I've, I've left here. Some tr- tradition says he's boiled in oil. Other tradition says he worked in the mines over there uh, on the Isle of Patmos. But whatever, he was a true and a faithful servant. He spoke what God gave him to speak. You remember Acts 4 and verse 20 when they said to Peter and the disciples, don't talk anymore in his name. Don't you mention the name of Jesus anymore? And the disciples answered and said, is it right then? You tell us what's right. Either obey God or man. And verse 20 says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And if I'm to be a true servant of God as your pastor, there'll be times when I'll say things that'll just, I mean, just, I mean, burn your hide. There'll be times when you'll think the preacher's picking on me. There'll be times when you'll think the preacher's exposing me. The whole story is a man who's a faithful servant of God is that man who gives the word of God without fear or favor to any. Now notice verse three. I gotta bring this to close. Verse three. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now, notice the Lord promises a blessing, a benediction. He promises happiness. And you know, a fellow said to me the other day, you know why I don't read the book of Revelation? Why don't I never preach from it? I said, no, why is that? He said, it, it, it makes me afraid. Man, I just feel fear when I read about these things. Well, there's something wrong somewhere when you read the promise of the word of God. In other words, you may have failed to understand what this book's all about and what it's concerning itself with. Well, here he promised a blessing to three groups of people, to the reader. And that primarily has to do not just with the fellow sitting down and reading it, but he has a promised blessing to the man, perhaps the messenger of the church who stands and reads that. It also certainly can apply to those of us today who have the Bible and we can open it up and read it. I've never seen any devoted Christian who ever got in a study of the book of Revelation and came and said, man, that's boring. That's not very exciting. I didn't get much out of that. Listen, every time you get in it, there's something there. And God promised that to the reader. He promised also to the hearer and he promised to those who would respond in obedience. And that is, he said to those who keep the words of this prophecy, meaning those who hear it in obedience and are submissive to it. By the way, This is the first of uh, seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Did you know there's any Beatitudes in Revelation? And every one of them talk about blessed. Blessed. You remember Jesus in the sermon of that? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the There are seven of them here in Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 3 is the first one. 
chapter 14. You want to jot them down and get them when you get home? The second is chapter 14, verse 13. The third is chapter 16 and verse 15. The fourth is chapter 19 and verse 9. The fifth is chapter 20, verse 6. The sixth is chapter 22, verse 7. And the seventh is chapter 22 and verse 14. So here we are, the first of these seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Now then notice verse 4 through 8. Could y'all, will y'all give me about five more minutes? Will you do that? Give me five minutes and then I'll take ten. No, I won't do that. Just hang in. I'm going to let you loose. All right. I, I can see some of you now just squirming. All right. Verse 4 through 8. Watch it. Verse 4. Six things I want you to notice in these verses. Now just with your Bible open, let me give them to you. Six things. Notice the subjects of this book. And I mean by that, those to whom this book was originally written, the present subjects. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, if you want to see a list of those churches, look down in verse number 11 of this same chapter. And there the Lord names these churches. They are chosen churches for a particular reason. And we get into that as we look at those letters of the seven churches. God didn't choose them at random. There are many other churches existing at the time. But he chose particularly and specifically these seven churches existing at the time. But they had a prophetic message as to the history of the church on this earth. All right, watch. Not all the subjects, but look at the security that John reveals. The security. And he says, grace be to you and peace from him which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now look at the security that is offered. Two words, grace and peace. Always in that order. Let me tell you this. If you don't have any peace, you need to experience grace. Grace gives birth to peace. Salvation by grace gives peace in the heart between us and God. So always in that order, grace and peace. Now, grace, grace speaks of God's attitude toward his believing child. Grace, remember that, speaks of his attitude toward his believing child. His arms are open, his heart is open, his supply is there, his strength is there. My grace is sufficient for you. And so little wonder then that John would begin the Lord, and by the way, did you know this is the only book in the New Testament that the author is Jesus himself? Oh yes, John is the penman. He's the secretary. But this is the message of Jesus. This is his revelation. This is what he revealed to his servant. John was just the Lord's secretary, if you please. And he, pen, he was the penman. And so uh, the security, he, he, he talks to us about grace. Why? As you look at this fearful scene that's going to occur on this earth, listen, uh, the grace of God is that which gives stability. It gives, a, it gives serenity. Uh, we're trusting in faith God in his grace to save us not only from our sins, but to save us from the judgment. Not only that, but he mentioned peace. And peace speaks both of our standing with God and our experiencing in a personal way that divine peace. Uh, peace comes from the word Irene, from which we get our name, Irene. Good night. And uh, Irene, and the word Irene means to join together. That's what peace is. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how you got joined to God? Through Jesus Christ. That's where the peace comes from. So it is by the grace of God that we have this peace. So John is saying, now listen to you. Oh, I'm telling all this. And he said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to frighten you. It's going to be one of those scary things, what I'm going to tell you, that's coming on this earth. But he said, remember, God's grace has been sufficient, and he's given you peace. You're joined together with him. What a wonderful security that comes in that. Jesus said, my peace give I unto you, not as the world give I you peace be unto you, he said. And then look at verse 4 and through verse 5a, and he tells us the source he talks about the source and he simply in those words uh, reveals the divine trinity. And he says it like this. The one who which, which is to come, which was, or which is, which was, which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. You said, a preacher, what does that mean? It means seven holy spirits? No. 
The number seven is a number of completion. And by the way, as you read Revelation, you're going to find sets of sevens of a number of things. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, seven years of tribulation. You're going to find the number seven is a very evident and very significant number. And so I think here it is but a representation of the Holy Spirit. The, as he is called, the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now then, he says, not only that, but notice you will, uh, not only that uh, uh, security and so forth that is ours, but look at verse 5 uh, and also the verse 6. And here he talks about our salvation. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now here he talks about our salvation. Our salvation. Notice three things he said. Who loved us, who washed us, who made us. You see that? He loved us. Love made our salvation possible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but everlasting life. And then he said not only he loved us, but he washed us. And there are some manuscripts that render the word, translate your wash as freed. Perhaps both of them are, are, are legitimate, are, are acceptable. For our Lord washes us, that is, he washes away, frees us of the dirt and the filth and the grime of sin. So here, by his blood, he has washed us. The baptistry won't do it. Good works won't do it. Only the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And then what he said, not only did he love us, provide salvation, and make it possible for us to experience salvation, but notice the future, he said, he, or not the future, but what he has done for us, he has made us kings and priests unto our God, unto God and his Father. Now, that is to say, he has made us ruling monarchs. He has made us conquerors. He's given us authority over sin, over Satan, over self. We don't, listen, if you're under subjection of the flesh, the world, you are a monarch, a king who has abdicated his throne. He's given you that position in himself. Not only kings, which indeed will rule, and we will rule with Christ, as you'll find in, these, in his book. We'll come to rule and reign with him when he reigns on this earth in that reign of peace in the millennium. And then uh, uh, he's made us uh, priests, that is, servants unto God. And then he simply said, John just burst out. I like this. I'd like to have John a member of this church. He'd holler amen every once in a while, wouldn't he? <laughs> That's right. And he, said, uh, and he said, amen, amen, he cries out. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He's, uh, he's got his bucket full already. I mean, his wagon's already loaded. He's just excited about it. He hollers, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can't you hear him just hollering it out? Seagulls walking all around the island of Patmos. And John shouting it out. Well, he's got reason to shout. Then look at verse 7. He reminds us of the second coming. I'm jamming so much in here, I don't have time, and I'm already out of time. Uh, but let me give you this. The second coming, verse 7 said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. This is a reference back to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, where the scripture says, When our Lord comes, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, and the mount divides in two, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. And all the inhabitants there shall mourn. They wail because of him. John's saying that's exactly what's going to happen. Now watch. When I talk about the second coming, I must remind you, I'm not talking here about the rapture when he comes for his saints. The second coming, whenever I shall see him, is when he comes in his revelation. When he comes, as Zechariah said in chapter 12, Zechariah, that he'll come and place his feet on the Mount of Olives. So that's the second coming. And so sometimes we use the term second coming interchangeably, but we need to be careful to make a distinction because the rapture and the revelation are two different things. The rapture is going to occur before the things that are talked about in chapter 6 through 19 of Revelation are going to occur. The church is going to be out of here. He has not appointed us unto wrath but to obtain salvation. We're not going to go through the tribulation if you're a believer. But yet again, let me tell you this. The whole story is he will come in the air before that to gather us out of himself 
And then he'll come at the end of that seven-year period and put his feet upon this earth, put down Gentile world rule. The great battle of Armageddon will occur and the Lord shall set up his reign for a thousand years upon this earth as the prophet said he would rule from the throne of David after the flesh. Well, let me... Uh, let me give you this now, I, I promise you. Emily Post said, don't tell anybody you're leaving but once. And I've already broken a rule of etiquette. Verse 8, look at the satisfaction. John said, I, he revealed, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is, which was, and which is to come. What satisfaction to the heart. When he said, I'm Alpha and Omega. That's the first letter of Greek alphabet, Alpha, Omega, the last one. And somebody says he's not only Alpha and Omega, he's everything in between. He's everything, first, last, everything in between. He is past, present, and future, which was, is, and is to come. Oh, how blessed. You ever heard the old hymn, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. That's past, present, future. And that's what John is rejoicing over. And then he says, and I ask you to notice this, the Almighty, he says, and these things set the Lord which is, which was, and which has come, the Almighty. Did you realize that that term is only used ten times in the New Testament? And nine of them are used, yes, in the book of Revelation. Only one other book uses that term in relation to our God. Paul, in writing the Corinthians, wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, and he talked about the Almighty. One time out of ten... It's used elsewhere. In Revelation, it's used. Did not tell you in the beginning, this whole book shows the bearing of his arm, his power, the all-powerful one. And I'm reminded of Isaiah's word when he wrote the words of God who said in Isaiah 46, 11, Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Hallelujah. When you read the book of Revelation, say, how in the world could all this take place? I'm going to tell you how. God purposed it, and God said, I'll do it. I'll see to it because I've set it in motion. So, friend, listen. It's moving along. This old world of ours spinning through space. Time's moving on, marching on. We're getting closer and closer to this great climactic event. But the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Do you have your salvation in him? Do you have a satisfaction knowing that you're resting in his arm of power as the world faces these tumultuous days? Let's bow for prayer. Thank you for being kind again. And I don't try to preach long. I just can't help it. I hope you've gotten a hold of some of this. It's so, listen, so exciting to really realize what's going to take place. We just barely got the introduction, the salutation. But I hope you'll stay with us and try to get right on through what God is revealing about the end time events.